What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another week and another episode of Unscripted, where we bring you professionals from all walks of life. We touch on their backstory, their mindset, and how they navigate through adversity and opposition. As always, I'm your host, Akeem Haynes. Now, before we get into this week's episode of the show, do us a huge favor. Head to Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes, Chartable.com, or Spotify, and leave a rating and review of the show. This small act goes a long way in moving the podcast forward. This week on the show, I'm joined by a good friend of mine. She's an Olympian, a graduate from the University of Oklahoma, and the founder of ACSS, which is a short for Administrative Care Support Services, where she provides administrative support for businesses, law firms, and other corporate administrative fields. She's a woman of faith and all around just a good person with a great story and great perspective. I've known Carrie Ann since 2012, made my first Olympic team, and she was on that team. And ever since I've met her, in my opinion, she's always been genuine, hardworking, and someone who's highly focused on being the best that she can be. Carrie Ann's journey hasn't been an easy one. She faced her fair share of hardships as a young adolescent with family, external challenges. It was those same experiences, though, that reminded her of the things that she didn't want to do or become. So she's been very intentional about her approach to life, as you will hear as she describes the beginning and the foundation uh, of her upbringing. She excelled on the track the moment that she touched uh, the track and put on some spikes. Most people know her as a sprinter, though. You know, she made the Olympic team um, as a sprinter in the 100 meters, but she was actually a jumper. So she was one of those cases where Uh, She was a jumper that could sprint or a sprinter that could jump. Look, you'll get it. She was good at both. But right after high school, she went to the University of Arkansas. She was a highly sought after recruit, but she went to Arkansas. Then she transferred from Arkansas to Oklahoma and finished there. After her college career, she essentially retired from track and field in 2005 and decided to come back in 2009 and started back training. Now, that's the interesting part because she made the team in 2012, right? So she retired 2005, came back in 2009. Basically, your body forgot all that you did before. And then she had to learn all these movements again. She made the team probably in essentially a year and a half, maybe just two years, right? When your body gets acclimated all over again. So that's 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 a pretty incredible feat. But we talk about her perspective and viewpoint, how she felt at the Olympic Games, um, she'll break that down. After 2012, she retired from sports and transitioned into the business world. But a few years ago, Carrie Ann got into a bad car accident that shifted her whole life, not just mentally, but physically and emotionally. We talk about how that season, how she handled that season and some of the things that she had to go through to even be here today from a physical, mental and emotional standpoint and how her faith helped her get through it. Carrie Ann's story is inspiring and I know you'll enjoy it and get something from it. Enjoy this week's episode with Carrie Ann Mitchell. You're muted. You're muted. You got to unmute it. Look, I know technology is still a little new. Um, clearly. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. What's going on? Uh, crazy morning. Yeah? In a, in a good way? In a good way. Yeah. So, here I am. I'm here. Carrie, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you for coming on. Um, a lot of things we're going to get into today, Carrie Ann, but we got to we, we gotta set it off right properly. As you know, I'm big on gratitude. I believe if you start there, 
you know, that's a great way for the day to begin the way how you would like it to. So give me three things you're grateful for today, Carrie. That's an appropriate question. Um, <laughs> I needed it, to tell you the truth. And uh, so I'm going to say I'm grateful to have woken up with a sound mind this morning. Hmm. Um, take that for granted. I am grateful for a new day. And I am grateful to have clients, to have, to have people who are in need of something for me that I can service them. That's what I'm grateful for. Yeah, I mean, thanks I mean, for asking that. I mean, you do a lot of great things. Right. You do a lot of great things and we're going to touch into that. But, you know, Carrie, uh, you know, we've known each other since 2012. So I know parts of you that people listening will be able to get to know. So I've been trying to figure out like, man, like how do I want to start this conversation? And I believe in order for the to, to understand how a person thinks, to get to where they are, how they operate, you got to go back to the foundation in which they stood on. And a lot of times those early foundations come from our upbringing and from the beginning stages, uh, Pickering, Ontario, right? However, coming from a Jamaican household as well, too. So, Carrie, from from some of your earliest memories, what was what was kind of growing up like? What was kind of those dynamics like up in the household, you know, uh, Jamaican as well, too? So it was very strict, very school oriented. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you know. I moved to Pickering when it was like the town of Pickering <laughs> and anybody who's from Pickering, I know Drake put it on the map in one of his lyrics, but um, small town, didn't we really know anyone and growing up, you know, I guess we're starting on this note. It was interesting. Um, didn't know a lot as I know now in hindsight, but um, I didn't grow up with my biological mother. Um, my father and my mother had lost communication, so I didn't have him in the picture. I uh, was raised by my grandmother, who was super strict. I mean, <laughs> super strict, yeah. super old-fashioned. And um, yeah, we, we had, a, I'll just put it on a high level and say there was a lot of law enforcement involved in my upbringing um, around my immediate surroundings. And so I was reintroduced to this on a daily basis, which really say, uh, set the path for me to want to live a different life. Mm. So I'll, I'll say it like that for sure. Grandmother, very strict, right? And as someone, you know, we want to see our mom or our dad or both, if we can, in the picture, obviously growing up. Yeah. But Carrie, did you, was there, was there parts of you that didn't feel like, man, like, like, why don't these people want to be around me? Like, did you ever feel any of that growing up? <sighs> Rejection is something that I still deal with to this day. Um, and I, even though I do a lot of soul searching and uh, self-development things, it's something that I never really quite know how to address. You know, you can acknowledge it and things like that, but definitely I really felt unwanted um, by my mother, you know, making that conscious choice. Again, I was, I was young, but even at 12, an older age, I was like, who would give their children away? Like, I just couldn't, mm -hmm. I just couldn't wrap my mind on a mother wanting to give her children away um, and never desiring to see them again, you know? So that was for me and I didn't know my dad. So I was like, you know, my sisters and I, we have separate um fathers and um 
they um, one of them was present, but two of ours was not present. Forgive me if you hear the noise in the background. My puppy has decided to choose the noisiest <laughs> toy to play with this morning because she's like, oh, my mom's on the phone. Let me go ahead and get the noisiest toy. Sorry about that, fans. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was something that I, um, in every facet, in every facet outside of, which I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit later, was running sports. I was just naturally gifted. You couldn't deny me if you hated me. <laughs> yeah. Right? So it was something I, I dealt with a lot, even within my household, um, being made fun of because I'm the darkest. That was a constant. Um, I think that there was some resentment. I don't know why, but I definitely was treated the worst out of all my sisters and my siblings. Mm -hmm. So that was another thing as well. So it was just constantly like in my face. Um, that maybe because I reminded them of my mom, I know they didn't have the best relationship. So I know that since I resembled my mother and more, fared more of her complexion, I, I couldn't figure out why, but yeah. I mean, you're hitting on the nail today. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> when it's interesting you say that, right? Because uh, I know, I know for me, you know, um, growing up in a single parent household and all that we had to go through, like one of the things that the, one of the great things about being born early, right? My mom had me at 18, 19 years old was the fact that mm -hmm. I got to grow up with her. So I got to see a lot of things and see her transformation and I saw how, you know, certain relationships that she went into, how she was treated. And so it makes me start to think as I reflect on it now, even though this conversation, just like, man, self-worth is a process, right? Like finding that step of like, man, how do I even, what does that even look like? What does that even mean? What do I cling to? And I want to ask Carrie from the some of the resentment that maybe you felt from them is that why you kind of cling to sport like how did you find track and field like i i i've known you for all this time and i don't know how you got into track and field but <laughs> but were you seeking something to find worth in and did track and field find you i mean being in all transparency and again i want to make this come out, i love my family and we have a a relationship now a better relationship now but i actually just pursued sports um because it kept me out the house <laughs> yeah um yeah. after school i get to go to practice and again i had a somewhat of a talent but i just really clung to it because it kept me it kept me busy and that's the honest truth i didn't do it i did not not because i liked it i wasn't i didn't really know that i was you know like all the benefits that would come with it i just it just kept me busy. So. so, so when you found it, did did it come easy to you? Because you know, sometimes I hear people's stories, and I'm kind of envious when I hear these stories of people say, "Man, when I picked up the football, I just knew this is what I wanted to do." But like in track and field, I tell people all the time, it's like, "Yo, it's every other sport's punishment." Like you're running, like <laughs> like you're running. Yeah, you know, I was I was fast from a very young age. I remember being in elementary and. We're all just lining up on the grass and um, they're like, okay, go. And I'm just like bolting it. Like, and again, I didn't really know because, you know, in Canada, it's not really a sports. I mean, sports is more now evident, but before it was just like, okay, so what? Like, <laughs> it's good for gym time and that's the extent of your abilities. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I knew because I was like, oh, it's gym time. 
oh, I'm good at this. I'm going to do well in this gym class. And that was pretty much it. But when I decided to, when I saw that I would, you know, got to high school and stuff and I started being really good at it. Um, then, um, someone's like, you should join a club. And I was like, I ain't got no money for, for a club. <laughs> like what am I going to do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it was actually pretty, I always have to give credit to Perdita, uh, Felician, because she was the one that said, Hey, you know, you can go to school for free. And I was like, say no more. Come I said, again. how do I do this? She said, go to that coach over there and tell him you want to join a club. And I'm like, I don't have the money. But Ember Carlson, he worked with me. I didn't have any money. And he was so helpful to pay for or help me get the money to pay for a lot of the, the things that we did. So I credit to him for, for investing in me and seeing that potential and it ended up working. But yeah, I, it came naturally to me to be fast, but I wasn't a sprinter. I didn't really enjoy sprinting. I preferred jumping because there was only 18 strides. And I was like, I could do 18 strides and get to the pit. Like, this is what I could do. So yeah, jump. I love jumping. And they used to call me Carrie Frog because I just had, such, I had some, I had some, some leaps and bounds. So yeah, your name goes with anything that you add to it. But before, <laughs> before we get into the collegiate side of things, because you did yeah. go to Oklahoma and Arkansas, we can bring a yeah. touch on that. Uh, environment, Carrie, that, that, that makes such a big difference in, in one, seeing hope and also understand that like, man, like every person isn't after what you're after. What was the environment like as now you are starting to get into track and field, right? What was Pickering like back then? What were you seeing? Because every other part is like, you know, when someone sees something in you, they try and show you a little different path, but that doesn't mean you can escape the environment just yet. So how were you staying, one, out of trouble? How were you staying focused, schoolwork, track and field? Was there any moments that you were just like, man, I want to go to the party that they're going to, but I got I got practice tomorrow. Like, I, I can't. Let me tell you, I did not even need the world to show me what I didn't want. Um, again, my family members chose their own path, but I had all the dynamics of what I didn't want within my immediate surrounding. There was law enforcement, there was alleged, a lot of allegations regarding, you know, whether it's firearms or drugs or things like that, that was constantly being around, not necessarily in my home, but even like the company that would try to come by. And again, allegations of that were always around. So that took care of me not wanting to get into any trouble because I'm like, I don't want that for myself. You know, my sisters, they had children at a very young age and I seen the hardship. I seen what people were saying back then. It wasn't as common um, as now. Everyone's pretty excited to be, you know, 16 and pregnant. And then it wasn't. So I saw their struggle within our home. I saw, you know, the reputation that could come with that. So I was like, well, I don't want to do that. So I was like abstaining from stuff. So as the youngest child, I got the benefit of watching other people set some paths and then being like, okay, I want that or I don't want that. So there was really no temptation for me to live that life because I just was seeing it all the time. And I don't even think people really knew um, what was going on, but yeah, it was, it was very public for those who knew, but I don't think I ever really talked about it, you know? So I didn't have any pressures at all to do that because I was just terrified that I would end up like some of the individuals I was around. You know, it's interesting you say that because that's also how I felt. 
you know, I was like, I was like, you know, people were going to all these different parties. You know, we had people in the neighborhood that would say, man, that's a key. Make sure he doesn't get around anything. But for me, I was like, yo, I didn't want none of that anyway. Like, <laughs> I, I don't. I, you, my thing was always like, man, I always felt like, as the saying goes, I, um, I always felt like I was, you know, two steps behind. But I always felt it was two times four. Like, I was mm. so behind that I couldn't afford to not mess anything up or at least go a different path. But you were talking to Perdita about scholarship, get your school paid for, and look, that's 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 a beautiful thing in the Jamaican household when you hear that. You're like, wait a minute. Right? Free money? Say no more. <laughs> so how, Say no more. how did that come to fruition? Because you finished at Oklahoma, but you started at Arkansas, right? So yeah. how did that happen? I mean, that's a that's a that's a big transition from yeah. the culture shock differently. Very much so. I mean, I didn't really start leaving the club stuff until the 11th grade. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until then that I started to drag, oh, let me join a club and do something more. My grandmother wouldn't let me at first. And it wasn't until my brother, somehow he got her to sign the, the form that would allow me to start, you know, running and being part of, you know, LASA and winning OFSA and things like that. So I was a really late start to everything. Um, and then Good thing that year, um, Ontario implemented, I don't know if it was that year, but that year there was a 13th grade. Usually we go up to grade 12. But mm -hmm. in that year, there was a 13th grade called OAC. And so I stayed back for a little bit longer to make sure my grades were going, you know, they were up well. And then it didn't take long. Like I have no really idea how the schools found me, but I was heavily recruited. Mm -hmm. um, I almost broke 13 meters out of high school. I think I still hold that record unless Tabia came behind me, but I don't, I think she may not have got my high school one, but she got some of my other ones and uh, heavily recruited. And yeah, culture shock going to Arkansas, which are where I went first. Uh, just everything. Um, training was different. Um, I mean, <laughs> this school was different. Learning was different. It was a huge adjustment. Um, for me, I, at first I wasn't sure if I could survive, but I was always thinking like, hey, I'm a smart girl. I can, I can learn this. And so I was pretty determined to utilize the resources, but even just training wise, that was different. I didn't end up jumping, uh, keep jumping for a long time because in Canada, we, we kind of teach jumps from like a European standpoint where it's more power versus just speed. So when I went down, my coach was so used to training everybody by a speed jumper, which means for our fans, you're just sprinting to the to the board and then you're going to go off up. Whereas Europeans, if you watch them, it's it's very slow. It's slower, but it's such it's a lot of power that gets built up. And so that made it very hard for me. So I getting shin splints, I getting injured. And then they realized, wait, OK, you're not doing as well as you were in the jumps, but you're super fast. So we're going to put you and make you a sprinter. And so that's how I kind of got dabbled into the sprint, the sprinting arena. So, How did you handle transition away from the track? Because now, you know, for me, I struggled with it coming from junior college to us, you know, junior college, 1500 kids going to Alabama is 35, 40,000 people. And now mm -hmm. I'm going into classes and I'm using the clicker to check in. I'm like, yo, these people don't care about me. I don't have to be here. 
And then, you know, you, you have conference. Conference starts Thursday, but you're leaving on Monday and some teachers don't want you to make up any tests. And you're just like, Bredgen, like, I, 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 I have to do well. Like, my scholarship is on the line. How did you, how did you handle that? And also, Carrie, um, sometimes we, you know, we're getting older, right? You're 19 to 22 years old, and now you're trying to figure out who am I? You know, all the depths of me, um, who are you in that person at that time in your own personal development as a woman? Yeah. So as far as getting adjusted to sports, one thing that I think when I look back that I'm grateful that Ember did for us is he took us to a lot of U.S. meets. Mm -hmm. So we were in high school competing at Duke. I remember we took our first one of our big road trips was to um was to North Carolina, to Duke University. And we competed against those collegiates. We would go down to University of Syracuse and we would compete against them as well. And it didn't dawn on me, but I'm like, I'm a high schooler who just came like second at this collegiate or university meet. So getting used to that competition in the arena and it was very nerve wracking, but they encouraged me and I didn't know no better. I was just getting started. So I just thought that this is kind of how it was. when I think the transition um, just into jumps and um, outside of the different training and stuff like that and in college, I don't know. Like, I think I got deemed the beast. I didn't know what this meant, but I was doing very well when I went down and they were like, girl, you was a stud. Like, these new words I would just be learning about. Like, stud, like, girl, you a stud, you know, and end up getting into the papers in the first couple of weeks of being in Arkansas. So I was like, oh, I guess this is going to be okay. You know? So as far as athletic wise, it was okay. Um, Like I said, I was just fresh. I didn't know any different. And my teammates were amazing. They were amazing at grooming me and really holding me to a higher standard. They would be like, you know, don't come on. They, They brought like the fear of God. I mean, there was like, don't come on this track and be, you know, um, not showing up. Like, you better come on, you know. We don't care that you're a freshman. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh. I got to – they don't care that I'm new. And I was so tiny. I was like 112 pounds. Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of tiny. But they really were just like, no exceptions. You're on our team. You better show up. You better show up and show out. Like, you know. So I was like, man, these girls, they don't play. So I'm like, let me go ahead and step my game up and make sure I'm doing what I need to do. So as far as the track part, that was okay. Um, as far as identity, that was a whole different issue. Um, even though I had a one boyfriend in high school and that was like a big secret. I never told anyone really, um, you know, and it was as PG as PG could be because I was so scared that, you know, even kissing would, you know, land me in the situation that my sisters fell into. I was just, again, no one talked about these things with me, so I didn't really know. But even that and seeing the attention that was coming coming my way, um, I, you know, like, wait, well, I'm dark skin. And, you know, I was I did not like my complexion. Um, it just I got teased a lot. So to hear and see, you know, different people respond different, like, man, you so, you know, this and giving you compliments. I was just like. No, you know, like me, They're like, yeah, you I'm like me, I was like, you know, so. I made some, obviously, some bad choices with that. Um, 
just trying to get used to this new attention. But also, um, again, my teammates were very helpful in this as well, showing me the ropes and the rules that you, what you could and could not do. Um, yeah, you know, um, but definitely was a time where I had to learn who I was. Um, I would definitely say that certainly my family started treating me very differently once I went off to school. Um, and that was interesting as well, you in know. A, in a good way or a way that you didn't quite understand? In a good way. So, you know, when I was at home, um, there was a lot going on, but pretty much it was the posture like, you're just a kid. Like, what do you know? You know, and I used to always say, there's a little bit of an insight. I said, man, when I'm 18, I'm out of here. I'm gone. Like, you can't tell me nothing. And I just, that was my goal. Like, I didn't run track because I loved it. And I didn't do well in school because I love school. I only did well to prove a point, mm. to prove a point that I wouldn't be what you thought I was going to be, you know? So it was more of um, a survival thing. And to be like, I told you, like, I'm going to show you, you know what I mean? So that was the whole purpose behind it. I didn't fail because I had to prove a point. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, I guess that's a lot of athlete story as well. They're not really running it because... They love it, but they're like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to become something, and I'm going to show you, you know. So yeah. um, so when I did do that, it was like when I came home, I would be like, okay, I'm not coming home tonight. They're like, okay, no problem. Like, they just never questioned me again. It was like, you know, my brother would like, you know, they would rave about me and talk so well about me. And it took me a long time because I was like, well, you used to talk smack about me. And so what's say I was this. Yeah. And you know, say I was that and say I would never be good for nothing. And I was worthless. And now, now you're trying to love me. You know what I mean? Like, so that took a long time for me to forgive them. Um, because I mean, when you're nine years old and you're hearing all that stuff, you know, you're good for nothing, what list. And I know that most Jamaicans probably think that's like a normal thing, but it's very damaging to a child, especially that I never grew up in, in Jamaica. So when you're in Canada, these, these words, they hold, they hold weight, you know? Yeah, you know, that's that's um it's one of those blessings and I guess curses in the well too cuz it's a it's it's tough when you're going through it cuz you're just like, man, this is not like I don't feel good about it, but then on the other end you realize I don't like how it made me feel, so I'm going to make sure that those around me don't hear those things. You know, it's those yeah. it's those tough lessons. Uh but what was interesting, Carrie, um when you and I got introduced and made the team together as I started to know more about your story was that from 2005, you retired in 2009 was when you came back. So there was a span where you just, you know, you were just gone. Like you just, you just, you just didn't do it. And I don't think people really understand that when you did come back, you, I mean, in a year and a half, you made the team, but 2005, 2009, what, what were you doing? What, what made you stop? You know, what made you come back? I think people, when they when they look at athletes or specifically NCAA athletes, they're like, oh, it's just so much. It's glamour. It's it's glitz. You're on TV. You're running. Um, but you're not really a student athlete. You're an athletic student. And they will milk the heck out of you. Come on now. Like, if they find out that you can shot put, you are now the jumper who shot puts. Like, they are going to get their money's worth. Yeah. And I lost the love. Like after 
I started enjoying track and it was fun in high school. It was fun in my first years. But then after you start learning that all of a sudden your money's on the line, you're like, oh my gosh, what? And, you know, then you start seeing the the political side of it that, Mm -hmm. hey, if you're not performing this season, um, you're not going to just, you know, there's not a happy, oh no, take your time and get better. No, there's no red shirting for you because that's more money for them. And it, it can get grimy. And um, that's exactly what made me transfer from Arkansas to Oklahoma. And my, my coach and I, we've talked about it. It's water under the bridge. But, you know, we had an amazing recruiting class come in that year. It was Veronica, Tyson, Omar, uh, Wallace. I mean, it was the number one recruiting class that came over to Arkansas and they needed money. And so even though I performed well and consistently, it was like, well, whose money can we try to take? You know what I mean? And I was like, yeah, it got really messy. But um, it's not all glamour. It's not all glitz. And so when I was done, I was like, yo, I'm done. I'm not even jogging. If the bus is coming and it's going to pass me by, so be it. Like, I was like, not doing anything. Not a dang thing. Nothing. I was like, I'll, I've made, I ran enough for my whole lifespan. And so I chilled. I lived a normal life. Like I was like, oh, I get to sleep in. I don't have to lift another weight. It could be just became, um, it was a business mm-hmm. and that's pretty much what it was. So I had to relax. And the second time around, I said, okay, now when I come back, I'm doing it for me on my, on my terms, you know? And so I wasn't running to maintain a scholarship. I wasn't running to, you know, get my degree. It was me. I decided I was going to return on my own watch, on my own dime. And that was the difference. And it felt so much sweeter the second time around. Yeah. And, you know, again, like when I saw you, it was, you know, Justin was there too. Heard about Justin, never really seen him. Um, uh, Perdita was there as well too. Felicia was there. I'm like, yo, these guys look clean. Like these guys are, yo, the guys, the way how you guys operated was just a sense of confidence, right? Yeah. But I remember, Carrie, we, we, um, you went on and made the team and I forgot where we were, but I asked you a question. I said, man, I said, now that you're here, was it, was it everything that you thought it would be? Right. And, you know, uh, it, it, it was, it was different, right. Cause now you came back and you were here and you did it, but your response to me was, uh, eh, I figured like that, like, that's it. I was like, what do you mean? That's it. You know what I'm saying? I was like, isn't, isn't this what you were talking about? Walk me through behind that meaning of when you said like, that's it. Because again, like people go to the Olympics and you're like, man, like this is, this is, this is, this is what we, we train for is what we work for. But yeah. for you to get there, were you, were you almost disappointed? You know, um, and I've talked to other athletes who've had this same feeling. I think we build it up so much. When you think about going to the Olympics, you, you're looking at it from watching it on TV, if, if you've never been before, and the editing and the, the effects and the rings that go across the screen and the highlights. It's almost like a basketball game, right? It's so much different when you're in person versus when you're watching it on TV. And so you see these, duh, 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 and it's just glamorized. And so you work, 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 you travel, you compete. Um, and for myself, um, I thank Anthony and Desai for really taking us outside of Canada, allowing us to travel to different parts of um, Caribbean and Europe and stuff like that for those. 
and you see the same people with you. Oh, girl, you're here. Oh, you're here. And then for most, sometimes when you're staying at these lodges or these different competitions, you're seeing, you know, these athletic setups. And it's so you get used to the certain setup of like the athletic staging place or, you know, residing place. So when I got to the Olympics, it was a twofold. For some reason, I thought it was going to be different in looking, but it looked just like the other venues that we had stayed at. Um, you could tell it was by the same, you know, builder or, um, or the same people were behind it. Maybe it was the um, Olympic committee, you know, um, that was just like, this is the staple of how the houses are going to be setting up. This is the, the, the eating residence is going to be the tent. You're going to have the different stations where you go get food. So it was just kind of like, oh, I thought it was going to be so much different, but it's like, oh, I've seen this building set up before and I've seen this eatering this the eatery that the athletes go to before i've i've seen it before it's just like you know bahamas or just like this meat so it was different that i thought the structurally would have been different and then also just from a um a work ethic um i thought it would have made me feel different um having this achievement um but it didn't but it didn't. And um, that was just interesting. I, I thought I would have filled a void like, okay, I've done it on my own. When I get there, I'm going to feel like, yes, I've made it. And this is, I've accomplished something so great, you know, but um, not that it wasn't amazing because it was everything amazing. I think that void just needs to be filled with something different. And I remember um, even celebrities will say it, you know, they'll say, you know, how you feel when you make a million is the same thing you feel with a billion. It's just that because it's it's a temporary high and it goes away and you have to do it again or greater in order to keep that same feeling. Like it doesn't just fill it this, that, that void that you thought you felt, right? So, you know, um, it's a constant needing to do over and over again. It's a, it's a temporary satisfaction. So yeah, that's you know, where I'm coming from with that, yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, I kind of said the same thing. I was like, oh, you know, the first time it was, you know, it was, was new, it was eye-opening, just seeing how people do it. But then the second time it was like, you're there to accomplish something, right? So you're not really too fed into, oh, this is happening. It's like, no, like if you do what you're supposed to do, certain parts of your life could be impacted. But right. I'm curious, Carrie, when you were going into just normal racing, right, what, what, what was going through your mind? Because I tell, I often tell people all the time, I'm just like, man, it's often a big poker game and it's whoever holds the composure the most is usually the one that does well. Right. But when you were approaching competition, approaching racing, like, you know, did, did, did dialing in start two hours in did what, was there a certain play playlist that you're listening to? Was there yeah. a certain hat that you were wearing? Like walk me through what preparing for competition is like, because I think it's very important. Man, I would say in terms of like, getting in the zone and then that space the night before. Mm. So, you know, whatever, you know, you have your teammates and you guys, you know, you clown. If you got some good teammates, you'd be clowning. You've been having so much fun, but that really dies down. Like right before you go into bed, you're making sure that you're getting good sleep the night before you're intentional about, you know, just waking up at a certain time. You got to know how, how the food sits on your stomach. So can you eat a full breakfast? And if you do, you know, so you're, you're, everything is like calculated, you know, like, okay, 
I need to have a good breakfast. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm starting early, but I got a big break. I can't eat between. So then you really start calculating that. And so that's where my mind would always go. I'm sitting in silence. I'm not talking too much. I'm not, um, I'm just keeping it real low key. Like I'm in serious mode. You know what I mean? I'm making sure that I'm just executing right now. Once I'm putting on like my uniform, definitely playing some music. I would say, um, I know it's an oldie, but like, like Southern bone crusher type music, like that's what's going on in my, in, on my playlist. And it's getting me like crunk. Like it's getting me like hype. I'm getting ready to go out. Like it's nothing soft, nothing metally. It's like, I'm going to destroy you. You can't mess with me. Like really feeding to your, to your ego, you know? And, um, that is, sorry, you can hear the puppy. Um, that's really where, how I, how I started was just, um, really getting in that space, playing those, that type of music, uh, making sure I'm hydrated, just, you know, going over what I need to do. And then, you know, you get to the track, stick to the routine. Don't change nothing, nothing new. Um, talk to your coach, you know, he knows you're nervous, mm -hmm. you're nervous. And then, but there comes a point when you're in the, um, warm up area that just goes, you're like, all right, it's it. Like there's no turning back right now. Like I need to, I need to execute, you know, and go from there. As you transitioned out, right. You've, you've, you went back to the feet, you got there. Um, now you're transitioning out of the sport again for a second time. Um, <laughs> For those who are not watching, uh, this is Carrie Ann's dog right here. Oh, sorry, guys, but she was doing the most below. I was trying to, like, you know, scoot her to the back. Yeah. As, as you're transitioning out now, right, you're transitioning again, and you're not an athlete anymore again. Did you have any problems shedding that, shedding that skin, so to speak, right? Walking new path, because now... Um, now you're an entrepreneur, you have your own business, you do a bunch of different things, but, you know, transition can be tough. Did you have any problems the second time as you were leaving it, just trying to figure out what was going to come next? Yeah, for sure. Um, again, this is a topic I have with a lot of athletes and it's an identity crisis. You know, while you were, um, I'll say I'll start from high school and then you go to college slash university, um, then you go pro and people are knowing you based on what you do right? You're, you're equated to your performance. And that's pretty much it. You perform well, you get the attention, you get the headlines, you get the bonus, you get this, you get that. But then once you really retire, um, you're like, well, who am I? Any? Who am I? Mm. I'm not, I'm no longer known for this anymore. You, I mean, it's always someone else coming up anyways. So you're not known for that anymore. Um, I'm not in the headlines. I'm not getting any attention. I'm just X. I'm just Carrie Ann. You know, my um, my my sorority sister used to always <laughs> say this term. Man, they did some local jokels, which means you're just an average person. You're not. There's nothing special to you. Local. You know. <laughs> I was like, dang, I'm just a local jokel now. Like, mm -hmm. who am I? Mm. I'm nobody. You know, and and I had to go through this transition of debunking that my value was only wrapped up in what I could do. You know, my identity was only what I could put, what I could bring and what I, you know, so, um, that was definitely something that I had to take some time with, even as a woman, I always, you know, I'm trying to embrace this 
feminine side of me, you know, um, as a woman and you're just trying to work in this, in this regalness, right. This softness that's not always encouraged with, um, athletics. And so, you know, in that space, you are very much moving in a more masculine posture, right? You're aggressive, you know, you're just grunting, like, you know what I mean? You have these not so soft and, 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 and women, feminine uh, qualities. And then you go in life like that and it doesn't work. The real world doesn't want that. You know, it may work and transition to your job. It may help you as an entrepreneur, but there's certain postures in a relationship, um, even with kids, things like that, that that doesn't really function so well. So you have to get used to be like, oh, so I can't just, you know, come and be this aggressor and oh, what I want. And then, you know, you have a partner. But you're so used to just doing everything yourself and being aggressive with it and getting it. And some people call it a go-getter. Some call it a boss babe, whatever you want to get it. But uh, I'll tell you this. A lot of my female friends, Olympian female friends are just like, that doesn't work. Mm. It doesn't work like that, right? No man wants to date a masculine woman. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's learning how to turn that off, but you never had to before. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I, 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 uh, I use this uh, illustration all the time when it comes to the switch, right? You know, in competition, you know, you, uh, uh, the switch is on. You do what you got to do to get the job done. When it's off, like you try to turn it off. And I remember hearing this story about Mike Tyson and uh, Custom Auto when they were training and Cuss used to get, uh, get Mike Tyson hypnotized. But it would be words of like, affirmations in a way like you are a conqueror you are a warrior you're here to destroy but the joke is when cuss passed away he didn't tell him how to turn off the switch <laughs> so right so he became um all of the things that we see uh, all the stuff that he would say are just things that he would be repeating as he was reading about ancient rome and achilles and charlemagne and all those mm-hmm. characters um Ever since I've known you, Carrie Ann, you've been a person of, of, of deep faith since the first day I met yeah. you. I saw you last in 2016. Uh, we got a chance to catch up, had some food. And I remember leaving, um, going back on the plane as we we're going to, uh, uh, to re- I remember saying to myself, I'm like, man, it really seems like she's in a good space, right? Yeah. Like it really seems like things mm-hmm. are lining up in many different ways. God was using you to do many different things. But the thing in life is every season turns. Yeah. Um, you had an incident that impacted you in many different ways. And it probably hasn't been till the last year that you finally started to feel similar to like yourself. Yeah. Uh, walk me through what happened for our listeners, uh, Carrie Ann, mm-hmm. because it's one of those situations where, man, I've always said hope needs to be seen and shown and it also yeah. goes back around to that saying, you never know what someone is going through when you see them. Yeah. So I would say, you know, um, once I, I mean, one of the great things about the Olympics for me was that I really got to find uh, who and what fills that void. And that was definitely a relationship with with Christ. It was so important for me. I was like, man, even the Olympics can't feel this. I can't feel whole, you know, by this amazing um, platform and, um, you know, position. And then I started saying, okay, God, you know, and I really do attribute again, training in that year and a half span to really only being God. It was really, I mean, I was really out of shape to come and, you know, make that accomplishment. So then I just said, you know, Lord, I'm going to do right. I'm going to serve you wholeheartedly. And um, 
you know, try to find uh, an assembly of individuals who, um, who I could grow with and who could, you know, teach me. And um, the same mindset I have as an Olympic athlete is the exact same one I apply in every facet of my life. Like, mm. you just execute well. And if it's textbook, it's textbook, right? You, there's no way you can cheat um, technique-wise and things like that, like, on the track. Now, you may do some substance or whatever the case is, but um, there is a formula for running, for being an, an athlete, you know? Um, and if you follow that formula, it just yields that result. So for me, bringing that over to my relationship with Christ, I'm like, well, what's the textbook? Oh, it's the Bible? No problem. Let me find someone or a group that follows this because that's what I want to be. Like, I'm not trying to, you know, especially if I'm going to give up things of the world that, you know, yes. I shouldn't be doing. There's no way I'd be so embarrassed to know that I just gave up everything in the world and I'm still going to help. Like this doesn't even make sense to me. So I'm like, let me do my best to follow the blueprint. And, you know, um, met believers, some believers that really, um, and again, I, I never, I grew up with the idea of God, but I never grew up like in a church and really seeing these things. So I end up seeing um, through a wide array of experiences, um, some really bad things in leadership when it came to, um, to, to faith and serving God. Um, a weight that I don't think that I could have carried and in things that I saw, not just to me, but even to other people. Um, some people didn't care what you did. It was just like, show up as you are and you're good to go. And that, again, that never worked on the track. You had people who come to practice, they'd be coming late. They'd be making you do have to do extra runs because they didn't show up to, you know, 6 a.m.s. And, you know, you just look down at those people. You're like, yo, what are you doing? Like, if you're going to come to practice, come to practice. You know what I mean? And so the same mindset was like, how come we're just being lackadaisical in this? So I never, I, I couldn't really support that. Um, then, I, you know, you, I, I met some individuals who really painted a very, unfortunate picture of God and um, with additional structure that was really, really heavy mm. and a lot of contradictions. And again, I know people in the congregation are, you know, we all make mistakes, but there's just a certain mindset um, that I thought would have come from those in leadership. You know, I trust my coach. Um, and I think that as a side note, when I, when I gave fully into my coaches, that's when I performed. When I gave into them fully and trusted them, yeah. that's when nothing could really stop me. And so the same thing, you know, you see leadership, you give in and you're like, well, how come, how come you're not really, you're not really living that truth? Like, that's not, you're telling me this, but you're not really doing it. Anyway, so it really brought me to, coupled with the death of my uncle, you know, seeing how, you know, I'll show this example. So you know, my uncle passed, uh, he got a stroke and, um, all while he was alive, I was going back and forth to my cousins and I were going back and forth to the hospital to be by his side. It was, he was probably the, the, the father figure that I knew the, the most. Yeah. And, um, I would say probably only two people from my church went to see him and, you know, pray for him and stuff. But once he died, everybody wanted to be on board. Oh, do you need flowers? Do you need this? Do you need that? And I was so dumbfounded. I was like, wait, are we taking, are we taking glory in the staple events to show? But when someone's alive and they're needing prayer, but you know, they're still good. Like it's kind of like, mm, whatever, but like deaths, weddings, these high level, um, 
ceremonies or whatever, that's when we want to show our appearance and show our Christianity. And I just, it really, it really bothered, it, that bothered me. And I, not that I was mad, but I just couldn't make sense of what was going on. You know what I mean? And um, it, it really, it really took me back. And it wasn't just people in the church. It was even family. Nobody was really coming to see my uncle while he was alive. But once he was dead, it was like, oh man, I, you know, I, he was so great. I, I wanted to do everything for him. And, you know, and I'm like, but he was alive Why and did he didn't make time and now he's dead. And you know, now you're like crying, like, oh, he was so, now you want to see him when he's dead. I couldn't make sense. So it just really, um, opened my eyes to a lot of things and that, um, I really needed to stop looking and I'll take the onus on myself because I'm not going to blame anybody. Um, I needed to shift looking to individuals to show me the love of Christ for myself, right? I had to know that these people were not my coaches. And it was important for me that in this space, I needed to have a relationship with God that was just me and God, right? Yes, I would have good counsel, good people to support, um, but those had to be very so selective in how and who those were. And so I, I take I take responsibility on that that I needed not to look to people to show me the love of Christ because I've seen some really mean people and people who you know don't ever want to be wrong and when they are wrong they never want to admit it so those are the things that really brought me um, and I'm keeping it high level because we could go deep but I will say that in it all um, and pointing out some of these things that I was seeing in the church the problem no longer was them. It, it was me. It was like, everything was me. Like why, you know, like, I'm like, Oh, well the Bible says, and it'd be like, well, the Holy spirit dictates what we do, you know? So it was like, they got to trump the word of God in, uh, into their benefit, you know? And, and they would keep having these excuses as to why it didn't apply to them. So I was like, am I going crazy right now? Like, this is the rules. This is the blueprint, you know, but you're saying we don't have to follow that you know, as long as the Holy Spirit is guiding you. And since he's telling you, then it makes it okay. So it was really a rough place. Um, I, I felt like, well, I'm no longer in the world. I'm not going to the clubs and doing all that stuff. Um, and my, obviously my mindset and my understanding of what it means to be a Christian is all wrong. Like, so I don't have any, like, what am I doing here? You know what I mean? Like me serving the Bible and they're saying, no, that's not it. This is it. And so I'm like, who am I? What's the point of me even being here? And that 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 led to a spiral of me um, just entering into a, into a very dark period. You know, what do you do when you give it all up to serve Christ? And the people that you wanted to serve Christ with don't really want to serve Christ, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and position you that you're not fit. You're not fit to be a Christian, you know? in unspoken terms. So. Last few questions, Kira. I want to talk about healing real quick. Yeah. Um, because after the incident, the car accident, you know. Yes, I didn't uh, about that, yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 you've always been a joyful person, you know, always mm -hmm. been um, ready to crack a joke if need be, always smiling, always this, 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 this feeling that uplifts your spirit. But then after the incident, man, uh, the times that we would talk, it was like you were mustering yourself up to even be present, right? Yeah. And there was a lot of things that you were going through, Carrie. 
um, what did the healing process look like to get back to where you are today? Because when you're, you know, there was a point where you'd have to wear glasses all the time to even really open the door, open the lights or anything like that. And the side question to that, Carrie, did you ever question, man, like, God, what is going on? Like, if, if this is how you're going to do it, man, I'm, I'm, I don't know if this is for me. I'm going to just go do something else. What did yeah. that healing process do? Because during that time, there was probably depression, anxiety, all of the things uh, that often gets pushed aside. But how and when did you start to begin to heal yourself? Yeah. Well, I'll answer the latter question first because it kind of goes into the parallel. I definitely got to a point where I was like, man, if <laughs> if I no longer fit in with the world and clearly I'm not fitting in with the church because I keep bringing up these things and holding them to scripture, but the problem ends up being not scripture or them and not God. So that by default, the problem is me, right? Because I'm either, you know, expecting us to always be honest and that's just not going to, you know, so I, um, I was like, man, if, if God had told me that this is what it was like, I would have never, I'm like, this is what Christianity is about. This is what serving God is about. And I would talk to some people in the church and they would say, oh, but that's just church, girl. That is normal. And I was like, you knew this? So that was even dumbfounded. It wasn't just my perspective, but they were like, girl, of course, girl, that's normal. That's church. And I was like, no, no way. Like, no, they're like, no, no, the girl, that, that's nothing. Just, just stay there. Don't say anything and just mind your business. But I've just never been that person to have group think. Like if it's wrong, it's wrong. And I'm just not going to sit there and do wrong, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so after that point, I just said, I was like, yeah, I'm done. I was like, yo, I don't know. And we, I'm be transparent. I was like, I don't know if it's black people. I don't know if it's black Christians. <laughs> I don't know. When I was in the U.S. and I was around predominantly um, Caucasian uh, Christians, you know, however they were on the spectrum, never experienced this. Never. You know, they were just so kind and just so encouraging, you know. And then I come up here and I'm trying to be with my own people. And I'm not saying it's all. But that it was a different, there was a lot of tradition involved in it. So I definitely was like, God, yeah, no. And literally one day I did chunk that Bible across the room. I was like, yeah, no, we're, we're good. Like, no. And then the next morning, uh, you know, it was just that anchoring of hope where God, you know, just God kept me was just like, this is not it. This is not it. And you need to look to me. Keep your eyes on me. And so it really started this journey where I was now like, okay, let me take it back. Forget all that people are going through. Everyone's imperfect. But let me go and find out who is really God for myself. And I just started reading the gospel. And I just started, forget about hair length, skirt length, color, hue, you know, theology. Let me just get to know Christ. Let me get to know him for him. Right. I know he has certain um, that doctrine is important. Scriptures do matter. But I wanted to know him. Did he did he consider me a castaway? Did he consider me wrong for having the convictions to do right and stuff like that? And so that's where I really that's where I really went. And that started the journey for me to say, okay, let me take a step back Mm -hmm. and just get to know Christ. Right. And um, what did he feel about me and how did he view me? And that's where I was like, okay, 
that this this is something now. This is different. And do I still believe all of the teachings that I've learned before? Yes. But now I realize that there's some lies that were woven in some of those things or heavy emphasis on some of those things that weren't really salvation issues. And so that's where I just said, you know what? Let me just exam- examine myself, run my race as I would on the track. You know, if you're running and you look over to lane two and four, you're screwed. You're done for because you just lost focus because you're watching the other runners. And I just applied the same thing. I'm going to run my race. And this, it doesn't matter how far someone looks like they're ahead of me or maybe they're behind me. Run your race. And, and that's, that really did a great um, deal of healing and forgiveness, right? And also, um, um, uh, once I realized that, again, I had lost some things when I, you know, went through that season, but now accepting the new me, right? There were some things that my values changed in that season. And now saying, okay, that, I mean, trauma does that, right? In any, any trauma, and I define trauma as a negative event that changes your perspective negatively on something, right? So an event that changes your perspective on a negative perspective on that. And when you go through that, whether it's a divorce, a breakup, a, you know, losing a child, those things are, those give you a negative, a negative taste about that particular thing, right? Maybe you're jaded now towards marriage. Maybe you feel like, you know, being a mutt, you know, being pregnant is just not for you. Like you lose hope and you come out a different person and it's what do you do with those pieces that are still intact, right? So you have to accept those things that maybe your mindset has changed on or just examine them. But that's really, um, you know, in some, the, the start of that journey. And again, it did take a long time to say, okay, I, and believe it. Because a lot of people know scripture. We don't believe scripture. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't believe that he loved me so much. We don't, we don't believe that he came for the, for the, uh, for the brokenhearted, right? We don't, we don't believe those things like, oh, well, maybe it's for that person, but not for me. And so it took some time to not only reassess how I was thinking, but also to believe that it was true for me. Last question, Carrie, how, how, you know, because that going back to what your teammates used to say, you know, Carrie, you're a beast, like that beast is still there. Right. And, but the beast got to eat. Right. So how do you stay motivated, encouraged to keep going? When, yes, you can have all of the scripture and have all of the things there, but it still gets tough, right? It still weighs on you a little bit. But at this stage in your life, what what helps you keep going? Yeah, I was in a different type of beast today. Um, the beast I was before a was a very beast. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm saying is this: it's a different type. Like it's a different heart posture within that. So when you're a beast on the track, at least before when I was. It was a very high self-efficacy, right? And nothing's wrong with that, but there was a lot of more me than there was God, right? So it's like, beast is like, yo, I'm going to deal with it. Like, I'm not seeking any source. I'm not waiting on anybody. I'm not waiting to hear from God. I'm not waiting for guidance. I'm not being discerning. I'm just going out there making it happen. Like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You want me to win? Okay, I'm going out there. And by all means, so it's, it really is all of the effort is on me, right? Um, and I would say today, now I have that same drive, that same spirit of excellence that, you know, the Bible, you know, even gave to Daniel, right? And I still have that drive, but now it's kind of coupled with, okay, Lord, what areas do you want me to apply this to? And knowing that, um, 
it will all work out, you know? So I, I'm still have that drive, but now it's like, it's shifted to a place of true purpose. Mm-hmm. And, um, I make sure that it's, it's, I am going to the Lord about these things and just moving in peace. Right. There's gotta be a, um, a biblical purpose, like a truthful purpose. It can't be for greed for mm-hmm. money. It can't just can't be rich. And, you know, for things that just are not menial for me, you know, so that's hopefully I answered it. I don't want to, yes. no one's ever asked that question before. So, but that's, I hope, I hope I explain that. Carrie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for taking time to come out. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's been a pleasure and hearing, even though I've known you for some time, there's lots of parts that um, I learned for the first time as well, too. So I know, I know you're not big on social media much, but you do have a YouTube channel that is up, but what is the best way for people to connect, to contact you? Yeah, you know, I would really direct people to um, my YouTube channel. It is the Olympian Next Door, and uh, we talk about. Uh, tra- I, I try to post a lot of uh, testimonial videos that help people to who are wanting to re-examine the relationship with Christ and start fresh and start new. Um, if COVID didn't help you do that, well, there's, I'm sure you, you know, life itself will want you to do yeah. that. So, um, yeah, you can definitely reach me there. And I have in the description box, I do have an email that, um, if you email me, you're more than, I am most certainly going to respond. So I would say that's probably the most consistent way. And that way I don't lose it and get, get lost amongst my other, um, mediums. Gary, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me and everybody. Thank you.